You know, I know it's been three plus years since COVID hit, but the one thing that I think that never came out that I still think is wild with all these people working from home mm -hmm. is just the bandwidth and how like that never really became a huge issue the way that I thought it would with like who's paying for that, right? Like, is their bandwidth going to be enough? Have you have you heard a lot of stuff like that? Or is it just kind of like people have been like, yeah, it's, it is what it is. Yeah, I think that it is what it is. But uh, yeah, so like me, I'm hardwired in to my internet. I should be hardwired in because my thing is literally right <laughs> next to it. But my my computer doesn't have that plug. So how did you get that? Uh, I'm, I, to, yeah, I have a, I'm running a Mac mini and there is a, uh, oh. a connection, but yeah, you can plug into your USB there, a, another, another dongle that hmm. Apple is the, uh, the dongle king or queen company, it seems, but interested. Yeah. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. It's good to see you. You as well. Without further ado, let's bring on today's guest because, yeah. you know, she's got full, uh, Knock on wood, bandwidth. Uh, hopefully we don't have that issue. The, the problem with bandwidth is me. I always have the bandwidth problem. I don't know why. Um, I blame Verizon. <laughs> you got to correct it in this in this field. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Without oh. jumping ahead, Carly, you have a podcast as well. And, and, and we can just jump into that. Is, is bandwidth a problem? Um, with, with it can be a problem with my guests. A lot of people in my line of work who I'm speaking to have Chromebooks or, or joining from a phone. They're joining where they can, when and where they can. And so, um, yeah, I try to coach everybody up at the start and say, you know, we need to have an actual laptop, an actual computer and a great connection. But even so, it's unpredictable. Yeah. It can be hard. Like seven I mean, years ago. I thought about, uh, I was having this issue that you were having and I was like, oh, I could buy all the equipment, maybe two sets of that equipment and send it to the people who say they don't have it. So that was with audio and video and then a bunch of other stuff. It just seemed like it was going to be too expensive, but well, people do, do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. makes sense. I like, cause I was watching ESPN this morning and I was surprised because Vince Carter, he's got to be in his house. He's a famous basketball player. Um, he's always out of focus. And I'm like, I cannot believe that every day, like the bookshelf behind him or the thing behind him is always in focus, but not him. I'm like, I cannot believe that the mothership ESPN has not told this guy like, hey, like, let's figure out how to get you in focus. Like we're paying you probably millions of dollars yeah. to do this. Like, let's figure this out. Yeah. This week in startups, they send all their guests and they and they do five episodes a week. They send all their guests uh, a microphone uh, headset. Oh. And it's just, it's, and it's theirs for them. What about keep. from a video person? Oh, really? Oh, to to keep. keep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of microphone? Yet, budget wow. wise. That's, I don't that's know. That's got to be four or $500 sure. dollars a hit. Well, I'm sure I, I'm, yeah. I mean, they've got sponsorships. So anyone that wants to sponsor that, then, you know, they can wow. hit us up and hit up Carly and we'll <laughs> make that happen for them. Yes. But, about the podcast that we can take that a, a podcast on parenting and that goes right into Nestle. What's Nestle? Tell us about it and uh, we'll, we'll dive right in. Nestle is an online platform where experts support parents throughout the entire journey of parenthood. So really from fertility all the way through birth, early postpartum, parenting a toddler and beyond. So we offer an, a software 
where experts can launch around and grow their businesses. And it also serves as a listing directory where parents can find them, interact with them on a HIPAA compliant platform, get their questions and challenges met with evidence-based, evidence supportive, like judgment-free guidance and um, cut through the noise of the internet. Where would they go um, before for that? Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it's like, like for so me as, as would have been a customer, I remember uh, 20 years ago when my wife was discharged from the hospital and it was like, here we are with our daughter in a car seat. And it's like, here what you go. <laughs> and we we're like, there's no, you know, there's no owner's manual. There's no anything like, so our owner's manual that we, to answer your question, Zach, was probably what to, uh, what to expect when you're expecting book. Mm -hmm. I think that yeah. that was probably that. Yeah. And then we just, you just have to figure it out. So yeah, I definitely would see a, a need for something like this. Yeah. Books. Um, I mean, even, even when I had my firstborn, which is almost six years ago, it was, it, that's what led to the creation of Nestle is that I am a researcher. That's my background. By, it's my nature. And so I had all of these issues with my daughter and I was going to the library and getting books and asking questions of Google and on Facebook and tr listening to podcasts and like trying to assimilate all of the information out there. And the burden is just so much on these families. And if you can imagine, like they're already going through something drastically life-changing and challenging. They're in such a vulnerable spot. What they need is a human being, you know, what they need is someone to help them see the path. And so that's, that's why Nestle was initially created. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's, Gosh, knock on wood for us, we had healthy children. I couldn't imagine if you had you know, special yeah. needs of some kind yeah. to uh, to have to, that's, that's tough. It's tough. It's tough. And the internet is, is right there, you know, ready to receive all of your anxieties and questions. But there's a downside to that. I mean, there's a really big downside to that. There's judgment, there's trolls, there's self-doubt, there's the embarrassment of having to ask in the first place or put all your stuff out there. And so that's that's initially why Nestle was created to cut through all of that and provide an oasis for parents to get in contact with these specialized experts who know exactly how to help them. Not to mention somewhat misleading information on oh, yeah. even less like uh, less less important topics. I remember like uh, maybe 18 months ago, I was like, I wonder how many calories I'm supposed to be eating a day. And the delta between the two was about 1,500 calories. Wow. And I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like, I don't know if I'm supposed to eat this or if I'm supposed to eat this. So I had to hire someone to basically say, here's, here's what we think the number is. And that's just something, you know, silly, like how much food am I supposed to eat a day? I'm, if it's potentially a life-threatening thing for your kid, like that's, that's a wild yeah. ride in there. How, yeah. how do you guys put... Um, priority on what if, if there is differentiating differentiating um thoughts on something i can't speak uh where do you where do you line line that up to say okay well this person thinks this but you know uh expert number four thinks this how do you come to those come to those answers so there are a lot of a lot of companies out there trying to solve this very same problem that we're working on, which is parents getting tailored support that they need. And where we are different is that we're an open marketplace. So that means that we don't have a staff of generalists who are serving as our experts. We have a process for these people to join our platform and offer whatever support and approach they give. 
So as it relates to your question, that means a lot of different styles, a lot of different angles, um, a lot of different core beliefs and approaches, but we require on our onboarding that everyone ground it in evidence. So it has to be based and rooted in the latest scientific approaches. Um, so you know, we track, we follow medical journals, we attend online conferences so that we can be sure that we're pointing all of our experts in the right direction and giving them the resources that they need. Uh, but when it comes to just differences of opinion on approaches, we welcome that. I mean, we, we think that that's the power of telesupport, that a parent in Florida may have the perfect approach from an expert in Alaska, and they can find each other on Nestle and interact and, and have that really strong, specialized relationship the way that they couldn't if they were just relying on experts in their own community. Yeah, that's interesting, especially if, even from a, like a, a, a travel standpoint or a relocation standpoint, mm -hmm. uh, if you're going on vacation. Yeah, I mean, it'd yep, be nice families. to have that resource. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, people all over the world were able to, able to serve. And actually, we're growing our expert base in different corners of the world as well. So um, we have an expert in Barcelona, someone just joined in Japan. This is great, not only for approach styles, but also for languages and for time zones. Because as you mm -hmm. can imagine, parents need help at all hours of the day. Yeah. It's really interesting in the sense of uh, like how, like the wave of, of disruption that comes. So it's it like, this is an area that seems to be I, I, maybe it's just because the the younger generation they, they're used to having devices in their hand and being able to have everything on demand so like everything from like fashion and tools and furniture or what gadgets you need to what you're doing it just it's it seems like this is an area that has seen a lot of disruption and improvement it has as, it has, and I think COVID really accelerated that because when I initially started this work, people were, so I, I was in, you know, my background was in research, customer insights, but I had my daughter and I got really into this world of birth, birth work and supporting families. And I became a postpartum doula and a lactation counselor. And I tried very hard to get my clients to use digital tools and to communicate with me via FaceTime you know, so that I wouldn't have to drive across Boston to their houses and that sort of thing. Um, but it, they were hesitant. And so I, it's been remarkable for me to observe the way that the necessity of turning this really specialized, vulnerable type of support online has accelerated so much through an experience where, you know, both sides, both experts and parents really had to rely on digital connection for, for a pretty long time there and got way better at it and, and a lot more comfortable at it too. There's a lot of pain points in it, right? Like if you need yeah. someone and you call them, like let's say you call a normal doctor today, you might not be able to get in until 2024. Right, that that's very to, true, that, yeah. That, that's, that's obnoxious, right? That's ridiculous. Um, then you go to the doctor and you sit there and you sit there and you sit there and you just wait and you're just like, uh, am I, are they ever going to take me? And then they, then they take you and then there's five minutes and they don't really get to the solution that you want. Then you got to go somewhere else. I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of runaround. So it is, I mean, obviously those people are experts and, and, and we trust, I think we trust doctors at the highest of level, but it, it do you find that doctors or people in this space 
have issues trusting your experts or or in fields like this because i feel like that's why the digital stuff hadn't come to fruition yet because mm -hmm. it was like oh i gotta go there that's the person they know everything they're super educated yeah yada 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 but now it's like oh, okay you know i got this fancy thing that can do everything for me i might as well just talk to that person like mm -hmm. do you do people trust what nestle does like how how, how is that working well there's a lot embedded with that i mean just in terms of the medical the like, typical medical establish, establishment and the way that they interact with and approach people who are non-medical like a doula um, who you know at, at times have been at odds with one another and i think things have gotten a lot better over the last few years as health centers have become more and more strapped and restricted in, in terms of their resources. And they see the power of what these extra layer of non-medical but credentialed and trained support people can do and how much they can approve the outcomes of the patients they're serving. So I see that that is improving. It's improving a lot more rapidly in some areas of the country than other areas. But the science says that additional support people is only going to result in more self-advocacy and better patient outcomes. You know, so Nestle is a huge part of working to support that. In terms of just telesupport in general, I think so much of what you're talking about has to do with the feeling of like what is action versus versus motion. Because if you have a problem, scheduling a doctor's appointment feels like you're doing something about it, but that's just, it's just like being in motion. You know, you're not, you're, you haven't yet resolved your problem until you actually have a clear path forward. And so we're just trying to truncate the time between a person having a challenge, a concern, a question, and having that clear personalized path for how they're going to deal with it. Yes. Um, I'm on your platform. It's for expecting parents. And then for uh, new parents, uh, how far new is, is does that go uh, in terms of age range? We started with a focus on the first year of life um, and have quickly seen the need for support beyond that. So we started integrating life coaches and wellness coaches and people who support parents of tweens and teens throughout the later years of parenting. And I was just talking with a parent the other day with a special needs child who, you know, the child is beyond the age of 18 and still the parent is constantly seeking for resources, support groups, and feels really disconnected. And so it, it helped us all see as a team that the journey of parenting absolutely never ends. And so if we're going to be the go-to ecosystem for where parents find tailored support, that it never stops. A parent is a parent forever. And what's, I'm curious about the, uh, what's the, the pricing model for Nestle? So as it stands right now, we charge on the expert side for their use of our platform. So they, when experts sign up, they have a choice to join. They can join for free and put up their storefront, their listing page and, you know, see what comes of it. Try to get invite clients and bring customers on there, have people find them, have people refer to them on Nestle. And if that happens, we take a 20% transaction fee of whatever they sell on our platform. Now, if they're getting a lot of business, they're like wanting to use some of our more specialized tools, we do have a flat rate uh, that the expert can pay per month for unlimited, you know, no platform fee, just, just really running their entire business on Nestle. 
Um, and then parents pay per service as it stands right mm -hmm. now. So they they could pay zero dollars for somebody's initial kind of 15 minute consult. They could pay fifteen hundred dollars plus, you know, for an entire multi-month long doula engagement or, um, you know, yoga course, workshops and these sort of things. So it, it really runs the gamut in terms of pricing, but we are monetizing for now on the expert side. And we see a future of providing a solution on the parent side um, with some technology that we're already starting to build in terms of doing more, using AI to do more to shorten the time between having a question and speaking to a human being. Before it used to be a marketplace, you pivoted off of that. What were you selling on the marketplace and how did you come to that decision? So marketplace, because it's parents and experts and it still is, you know, a two-sided business. And the difference is that when we launched, we were focused on the parents and we really thought that they were going to be the ones who were hungry for what we were um, providing. Mm -hmm. But as it turned out, it was the experts. So the people who were finding us and knocking on our door and saying like, hey, what you're doing is really cool. Can I be involved? Um, how can I put my page up there? It was experts, experts, experts. And the parents, I think we've learned a lot about why they're hesitant to you know jump on and start asking questions of people they don't yet know or haven't been referred to it's just a it's the colder side of our market and so we see this need we see people who are willing to pay and enthusiastic about joining on the expert side so we're leaning into that i mean we're focused we haven't exactly you know pivoted completely away from being ultimately that two-sided marketplace because we do have the eyes of parents and parent interaction on our site um, but where we're focused right now is providing the best software that every parent support expert, every independent consultant in this field wants to be on our software, at least having a listing page, because it is still a shock to me that there is no one place on the internet where a parent can go for everything throughout that journey of parenthood. Like and even an expert, you know, I'm, I'm a doula. I have to list um, my doula services on one website I have to list my lactation services on a different website. You know, like it's just such a, a siloed uh, industry. And so Nestle is making an effort to bring that together by focusing on the experts first and foremost. Yeah, you brought up. So you brought up AI. I'm curious what, uh, you know, how does how do you feel about it? How does Nestle feel about it? How is ChatGPT changing the game? Uh I mean, it's just, it's taken over everything and that's yeah. all I ever hear about. What's your take? Well, our team is really interested in it. And I do think it could unlock exactly what we need to be unlocked, which is the time period between having a question and getting your question answered. So, and yet it's really complicated because this is a field where you cannot have like the wrong answer. You cannot have some sort of judgy or prejudiced answer, which we all know that AI can perpetuate. Um, and so the way we are leaning on it is trying to use AI as an intermediary that gets people to the human being uh, more quickly. So we're working to train uh, kind of a concierge to interact with that initial triage of like a parent having a problem and for us to be able to recommend the expert who's going to be able to help them most. Yeah, it's uh, it is a fascinating world that we live in right now with regard to that. I don't know how much you messed around with it, Zach, but 
It's, wild. it's amazing. Yeah. I, I was just listening yesterday to a podcast about, you know, how it's disrupting the handy handyman field. Like people used to have to call a handyman and like ask about how to fix something and maybe pay them, bring them to their house and all this stuff. And now there's an AI tool that you can interact with to try to solve your own problems of stuff that's broken around your house. How which does is that actually work? Like quite how parallel to Nestle, you know? Huh. Um, and it's not perfect enough yet. So the podcast I was listening to, the host said that he get, he presented the problem of like, I, my dog is stuck in my toilet. And the AI was just like, keep jiggling the handle, <laughs> like not re responding <laughs> to the fact that. Well, the, the crazy thing is, though, Zach, I don't, or if, Carly, if, do you either of you see the story about how ChatGPT saved the dog? No. Yeah. So uh, this dog had some sort of ailment, took it, the owner, took the dog to the vet. They ran all the tests, uh, prescribed the dog with a treatment that didn't work. So then the, the owner then inputted the test results into ChatGPT, and then and it came and asked and prompted it to say, "What are what are you know how can we solve this problem?" And there was three things, and the first one was what the vet prescribed. The second thing was uh, something different. And so then the guy with the owner went to a second, a different vet and said, uh, hey, this is what I think what the problem is. And sure enough, that was exactly what was needed. And wow. then the dog was. That's hurt. fascinating. So like, what's the difference between that and just a simple Google search or watching a video on YouTube? Because they seem very similar to me. It, the it, like, is well, the synthesis. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I think. I the think difference is what would you say? The synthesis, because uh -huh. when you search in Google, it is upon the burden is on you to synthesize right. you those just get tons of, of links and yeah. sponsored links right. and and if it's on chat gpt hmm. you have one like straightforward path you know and you yeah. can try maybe a few things like what you're saying tim um but it's just it's that relief of feeling like oh here's here are steps yeah. to take which is so it is exactly like the insight that we have noticed about parents is just wanting take the burden away from me. Like, yeah, I know there's a million approaches to this, but tell me what to do, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and so there's, there's, it's really powerful to rely on AI to, to have clarity and focus on what you're going to try next. I, I have been playing around with it a lot more and it, it's interesting. I think it's, um, you got to learn how to talk to it the right way. Oh, yeah. You get yeah. what you want. Yeah. And that well, has been I mean, my biggest struggle. <laughs> I'm like, which ah. I'm surprised, Zach, because the thing is, like, the power of, of ChatGPT in particular is continuing to drill down. And so it's when you ask it for something, and then you're like, okay, expand on it. Okay, mm -hmm. expand on it. Okay, expand on it. And it will keep on going. Uh, and that's so that, that, those words, usually I just say, tell me more. So you say, okay, expand on it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. try that. Because yeah. someone, um, someone was telling me just like some little hacks, and I'm like, I don't think that works. Like I've been trying, I'm like, I, I don't. It's not that. Is that that is yeah. not working for me. I mean, um, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to turn this show into a, a ChatGPT no, show, but it's you know, like learning how to use this tool is the same as like 20 years ago putting on your resume. I know how to use PowerPoint and Excel. I mean, like, you know, like this is like revolutionary yeah. in this or like of... the internet. Yeah. I mean, I exactly. think, yeah, the, there's, there the is absolutely, web. you have to be, you have to figure it out and get, get familiar with it. I think it's absolutely 
going to be a game changer in the future of how every business runs. Um, so we are not opposed to it. You know, we're we're sure. doing our best to use it to our benefit. When did uh, when did Nestle start? When did you guys open? So I formed Nestle as an LLC when I was initially, you know, a postpartum doula and lactation counselor practicing serving serving customers. Um, so that's how the business got its start. But we became, you know, a digital health startup, I would say, sort of toward emerging from the first year of the COVID pandemic, when more and more people were interested in what we were doing and on relying on digital approaches, which I was doing a lot in my in my own personal practice. Um, so we did, a few, I mean, it was, still, it was just me at that time. I and mean, I did a couple of accelerator programs and um, emerged from Lighthouse Labs, which is the Richmond-based mm -hmm. accelerator program. With uh, was Todd there still, or is he gone at that point? No, I met him, but he was gone at that point. We had Paul Nolte as the head at our at our time, and just wonderful mentors. It's a great program. Um, and so from that, the the most useful thing to my business was that I emerged with a co-founder. Found my co-founder. Found like very clearly saw that that's the future of the business and. I, you know, I have a bit of a tech background having worked in user experience, but I don't code. Um, so they were technical? Yeah, CTO. Mm -hmm. My my co-founder, Michelle Cunningham, is uh, absolute. I mean, I can't believe that I was lucky enough to find her. She's She crushes it when it comes to developing this platform and moving forward with our strategic. Yeah. And that's one thing, and I'm interested to hear your take on, on Richmond, but that's just one thing that it culturally down in this Hampton Roads area is that people just think, you know, I don't have to necessarily be ingrained within the startup community or the entrepreneurial community because I'm not an entrepreneur, but founders need a lot of different things. So, yeah. and like one of the things around here in particular is we have a lot of really technical, technical people. Mm -hmm. We have NASA, we have Jefferson Lab, we have, there's just a lot of really bright people, but they don't know how to put businesses around those great ideas. So like we, we need, co we're, we're looking for founders are looking for co-founders. Founders are looking for CEOs because they, they're the first to admit I'm not the person to run this business. I need someone to help me. I want, I want to work on the meat of, yeah. of this. I, so I just, that's just my call to everyone is that, even though you're not an entrepreneur, or you're not a founder, there's still a lot of things that are needed from the community to help these startups succeed. Absolutely. And so how is the scene in Richmond? It seems like I've talked to a lot of people that are like, everyone's like, gosh, man, Hampton Rose has it going on. Yeah. Whereas yeah. down here, we're always like, well, Richmond's got it going on. So I'm just curious, like, you know, there, there's the truth has to be somewhere in the middle there, but it just seems like... Uh, Seems like there's a lot of stuff happening in Richmond. Yeah, I think, you know, having never experienced the Hampton Roads ecosystem, but I've heard wonderful things about it. Richmond, I can say, has a really strong, powerful um, environment for people who have an entrepreneurial spirit. And I think that the focus now is trying to um, make it less piecemeal. So there are a lot of really great individuals, great organizations, accelerators, and um, they, it's just hard as, as an entrepreneur at times to figure out how to use them all, you know, like it, they, they're not necessarily in network conversation with one another. And so I think, but I, but they know that. And so people are working to improve that. Um, and so I've done my best to try to, you know, get 
accelerator help, mentorship help. Uh, I work out of 1717, which is a fabulous co-working space. And I have tried, because of my background as a graduate student, you know, I have a lot of experience looking for for pro bono work and like free opportunities and try to stretch our dollar as an organization to make the most of these people who have expertise to share or organizations like Capital One with just really generous support to share for growing businesses like mine. So we have a lot of that in Richmond and I feel really lucky to have that. What was your take or uh, your experience with the Amazon Accelerator? Oh my gosh. Okay. It was amazing. Um, The best thing about that was like the massive influx of cash that they gave us. Like it is, you know, some accelerators are really generous and they'll give you $20,000 and you feel rich and you can do all this stuff you hadn't done before. Amazon gave us $125,000 equity free. And it was, it was the first time that we felt as a business oh my gosh, you know, we're, people believe in us in a pretty big way. And we can do things that were years down the line in terms of where we thought our revenue projections would be. So that was the wow moment, you know, when we actually like got those in our bank account and felt that amazing relief of like, oh my gosh, we don't have to worry so much about uh, all, you know, making these payments. Um so that was huge. And then the programming was fantastic, too. They had a week, a week at the start and a week at the end that were in person, which was super for me because both my co-founder and I got to be there. We live in different cities, so it's really mm-hmm. special to have any opportunity to be with. Where, where was that held? Was it was it Washington that, State? first week was in Seattle at their space there. And then the, the final week was at San Francisco, where we did a big demo mm-hmm. day in front of a lot of investors. Um, and that's where my co-founder lives. So it was local for her, but she, she flew to Seattle um, for the first week. And so- Was it had, Amazon, uh, Amazon or AWS, Amazon? It was AWS, AWS, yeah. Am- Amazon. Yeah. When so, you applied, did you, was it just a shot in the dark kind of thing or did you, did you oh. expect to be accepted? No, no, completely shot in the dark. Um, <laughs> a friend of mine, like a colleague who is, you know, a fellow doula and she works for a Richmond doula project as a volunteer and she's really on it when it comes to grant opportunities. And just by chance, she forwarded me some email that she had of multiple grant opportunities. I said, thanks so much. You know, I applied to all of them and some of them were like $5,000 that I didn't get. And then I got this one. So I was like, wow, Jess, I, I really owe you. <laughs> it makes sense for AWS too, which a lot of people don't realize is its own unicorn business i don't know what it's what its value is at this point but i mean it's a crap ton of money a lot of things run off of it most people don't even realize that it's like the backbone to the internet One hundred twenty-five thousand bucks to them i mean that's that's the equivalent to one driver a day that you know you see in your neighborhood that's probably throughout a hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff obviously a different business but um if you if if what you do with Nestle works, mm-hmm. that one hundred twenty five thousand dollars to them becomes multi millions of dollars right. in in using their service, likely because you'll use AWS because you feel great about how they've helped you in the past, and so it's it's kind of deal flow and it makes sense. What do you think about the difference? Uh, one hundred twenty five grand is great, love it. Uh, Twenty grand from Lighthouse Labs is great, love it. But you you talked about the. The education, the training aspect of that. I mean, was it night and day difference? Do you like what? What do you think Lighthouse Labs did well in that case? What do you think that Amazon did there? Is it just because Amazon is a juggernaut and Lighthouse isn't? 
Um, are, are they comparable? What like the you know there were there were elements of AWS's programming that I liked better, and then elements of Lighthouse's that I liked better. So um, AWS really did a lot with fireside chats, kind of like individual experiences with founders who had made it or like who maybe had was were kind of making it and had been in our space before and. Um, you know, I, I know that that has not been that successful in the past at Richmond area um, co-working spaces or incubators and accelerators. And I'm not sure why, but um, carving out the time to hear success stories and to ask questions of people who had faced similar challenges was the strength of AWS, for sure. Um, in terms of the actual business programming, you know, I got a lot out of lighthouses because a lot of it was really rooted with Richmond connections. You know, we're a Virginia business. We're growing as a Virginia business. And so the benefit of the programming there was that they were recommending resources and people who were going to be, you know, helping me right away. So both had had their upsides for sure and strengths. I'm interested, Tim, uh, in your thoughts on this, I would agree with the fireside chat. So to me, if I'm hearing that right, it's basically someone local that is, or, or in, in the Amazon case, some, some, someone that is, is known to some extent, or that business is known to some extent, and they come and they give a talk, and then maybe you guys can have some Q&A there. Mm -hmm. From the perspective here, it sounds like in Richmond too, that doesn't, that doesn't work. I feel like I've tried that significantly, never to like the super big level, because I never felt that we could sell enough tickets to get to something like that. Like, um, why do you think that is, Tim? What, like, why do you think that someone who has done something successfully to some extent isn't isn't able to fill a room? Is it the people who are marketing the event are just doing a crappy job? Maybe that's what it was. But I mean, like, I, I don't know where you would. It just doesn't seem like you can fill a room. I tried doing something in 2013 where I had 12 or 15 of those people from all of the across the country. We sold like 30 tickets and we were on a really nice trajectory at that point where we were getting hundreds of people at at events. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, don't know. I, th I think that it, it comes down to like what I was talking about earlier is that like everybody in the community has a part in entrepreneurship in the startup scene. I mean, it's just we've got to support one another. Um and I think that, that that's and it's not a matter that people don't have support. I just don't know if they understand the connection and how everyone plays a part in it. Yeah. Uh, so show up to an hour event, listen to the talk just because and good things. Will yeah. Happen. And, and I guess, yeah, stay curious. You know, I mean, I like to go to different things and listen to things because I'm like, wow, that, that's just I've never thought about that before. And that's really, really cool. I would um, rather talk. To, I would rather listen to someone without a topic that's like, I'm going to educate you on this thing. I'm just going to talk about that journey. So maybe people try to educate too much and not tell their story. I I know because I was just talking about this the other day with someone who, who runs programming at 1717. Mm -hmm. And I think thinking of it from a founder's perspective, you have so many millions of things that you want to do as interested as you are in some amazing person's story. It's like the, it's just the last thing on your list, right? Cause it's not, you don't think of it as core to your business that day. It's just really, really nice to have. And so something else will always come up. The mm -hmm. reason that it worked with Amazon is that they prioritize that in their programming. Like we were, we were, we were not required, but they made mm -hmm. it an element of like our expected times where we were saying we would be dedicated to Amazon programming. And rather than having, you know, a typical session on like your B2B, your whatever growth strategy, it would be just a person talking about their journey. And because we were 
carving out time for it already, we all attended and got so much out of it. When it's a nice to have or like just beyond your typical flow of how you run your day as a business owner, it's hard to make time for, I, I think. Yeah. How, how much did things change once you were accepted and you went through the Amazon program? Did, did that provide you even additional validation where then people here locally were like, wow, we need to listen to Carly and Nestle because, you know, there, there was a, a level of validation that extended beyond what you currently were experiencing? Yeah. I mean, I think any press attention is we always see a boost after that. Um, a big name like Amazon that's known nationwide, worldwide, believing in your business is huge. So yeah. we definitely got a lot out of that in terms of people recognizing our name. Um, and but but honestly, like every opportunity that we say yes to, we are able to get in front of people who learn more about our business and our approach and think, gosh, I've been saying that this needs to exist for a really long time. And who knows? You know, it does. So we say yes to just about everything. And um, and, you know, the bigger the audience, of course, the more we see in terms of results. But I think every bit of putting our business out there has been good for us. Yeah, I love that mindset. I, I think um, it reminds me of I don't know, 2015, 2016. I was trying to sell uh, a friend's business to a TV station. I think you know this story, Tim. Uh, it was, what's the tunnel traffic guy's name? What was that guy's name? The tunnel of what? A Andy Fox? No, 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 no. He had a tool. Oh, okay. oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. Anyway, this guy, he's got like 200,000 users. Uh, we live in uh, the area where there's a bunch of bridges. And so he had this, like, um, this, this tool that would tell you, in real time if there was traffic at one of the tunnels and it was using real time user data that was basically uh, taking Jeremy the accelerometer. Alessi. Jeremy Alessi, yeah, that's it. And it was saying, okay, well, the speed is this, so you should go to this tunnel or you should go to that tunnel. Uh, one of the TV stations was using it on air every morning and I knew the people at the TV station. So I just reached out to the president and I was like, hey, yo, um, I have this interesting opportunity. Let's get breakfast and meet. And uh, we meet. She didn't like the idea of buying because that's not the way that TV stations do this. But she goes, oh, we're thinking about starting a business TV show on ABC. Who could be the host? Not asking me to be the host, saying, like, who could who who do you think in this area would be a good thing? I just straight up raised my hand. And I said, I think I should be the host. <laughs> and I think that's the mindset of saying, like, just say yes or raise your hand to everything because you never know where that can go. Now, in that situation. I don't know necessarily how to be a TV host in that. I don't necessarily know how to do that stuff. I ended up getting, I ended up becoming the, the host, which is, which is great. But that wouldn't have happened had I not raised my hand and basically bet on myself. And I think too many people are like, oh, I probably shouldn't say yes to this. It's just like, just say yes to everything mm -hmm. and then figure, figure it out along the way. And you yeah. do it one time, like do one show like this. Okay. And then learn from that make a script on, on some of the things that you want to say, have some, some uh, boiler points that you want to, that you want to have right there, some bullet points that you want to have right there and just go with that, like move with the punches. I think that's uh, most people don't do that. And I think they would be a lot more successful if they did. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we support a lot of entrepreneurs because the expert side of our business, these are all individual people running their own businesses. And so we try to give people the, nudge that that it might take to put themselves out there and treat everything like that as an experiment. So, you know, based on how they view themselves or their experience level or what they faced in the past, like it can be hard to say to somebody like, just say yes, or, you know, just 
put yourself out there. There can be a lot of reasons why people are hesitant or lack the self-confidence to do that in a given moment. So what we try to do is, in a sense, gamify it, like give people challenges, um, give them badges or like reasons to pursue something that puts them out of their comfort zone, whether that's a cold call or whether that's like speaking at some sort of gathering or conference, going to a meetup, you know, like depending on a person's personality, that can be hard to do. Um, but as a business owner, you it, it behooves you to experiment and just try stuff. So we really encourage all of our experts to explore that and to say yes. And we try to make it fun and kind of tick into their achiever mindset when they do so. I want to circle back uh, in terms of how you market uh, and bring on your customer base. Is it individuals? Do they seek you out directly by going to the nestle.com or do you market to hospitals or other practices and then they bring, uh, they onboard customers? What, what's, what's your go-to market strategy? So um, to date, our most of our progress has been organic word of mouth referrals. So people finding us or us reaching out to people and saying, we think you, you know, we, we have a need for someone like you. Um, but our latest strategy that's been really promising for us is through channel partnerships with certifying organizations. So, you know, think about all the roles of people who could sell their services on Nestle. Um, there are organizations who train these people, certify them, offer professional development, offer community, and they're always looking for ways to help these people launch thriving businesses, right? Because they certified them or, you know, like they're affiliated with them. And so we have found that every time we get in front of one of these organizations and describe what, what we're doing, we we make a partner, you know, and, and we enter an agreement with these organizations to either integrate us into their training program or, you know, strongly recommend us throughout key, key touch points throughout the year, or if it's a nonprofit and they don't have any kind of reason to explore like a, a kickback revenue share, then we would potentially offer a discount for some of their membership. So we're, we're targeting certifying organizations because we have so much in common with them in terms of how they're trying to uplift their clientele. What does the name mean, Nestle? Um, so Nestle is meant to make you think of like a hug or like nestling down and centering yourself and your family on the core of what matters. Um, I came up with the word <laughs> because I thought it would be, you know, I wanted to be able to trademark it and you can do that more easily with words that you make up. My husband also told me that words with double letters in the middle are easier to remember, um, like Google. <laughs> so, uh, so that's why I went with nestle and it also sounds like a verb, right? So like, oh, just nestle that. So, so that's where that, we're headed is today. It, is it a real word? It's not a word. No. It's not. I mean, nestle, nestle down is a word, like, but it's spelled differently. Oh, you were okay. able to get the, uh, the domain name? Yeah. Yeah. So initially we got um, nestle.co, but no one had nestle.com. It was $4,000. And so that's how I spent $4,000 of my lighthouse money <laughs> to buy <laughs> nestle.com. <laughs> Look, I, I, as ridiculous as it is, and I know you're laughing about it, I don't think vanity, uh, whatever those extra domain things like dot marketing, dot homes, dot whatever, I don't think they work. And I've had dot co uh, websites in the past. Everyone just goes to dot com. So yeah. like, you really kind of got to buy it. And if you're when you're thinking about domains, if you don't have the dot com, 
for your thing, you're going to have to come up with some some other kind of form of your domain to meet into Nestle, yeah. like nestlewithme.com. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know. But like well, yeah, something like that would have had to happen for you to get that because no one, uh, except for maybe .org or .gov, no one wants to go to .gov, probably because they're paying a, a taxes or something. But like, it's got to be a .com. And it's just like that. None of that other stuff I feel like ever really came to fruition the way that people wanted to. It's just .com after all. Yeah, I mean, who knows the future of that as more and more .coms just become taken. But an, a, a mentor who told me, you know, gave it to me the hard way. He Everything he said was like really difficult for me to hear in the early days of Lighthouse Labs. But he said, you have to get .com. Like walk yeah. away from this conversation and go buy .com. So I'm, I'm thankful for that because it people do type nestle.com. Um, and so we get more of them now. That's a business expense. I mean, so it's, you know, uh, it's. And it's a six letter domain, which is there, there can't be many six letter domains left. That's true. That are dot com. <laughs> I don't know. Ask chat GTP, Zach. Uh... No, I'm just thinking about how many five letter words are still available on Wordle. And I use the same damn word every single day on that to start. And I still haven't hit it. And I'm over 400 days. So I'm like, at some point, my first word needs to go in there. Like, what's, your, what's your starting word? Uh, beast, B-E-A-S-T. Okay. So I was, there's a roller coaster in um, in Ohio called The Beast. And my mom was uh, uh, visiting at some point and she asked me about The Beast or something like that. And it came up and I was like, oh, that'll be my next word. And then every day since it's been that word, <laughs> still hasn't hit. And mm -hmm. whenever I see a B as the first letter, I'm like, it's close. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. No. <laughs> Do you guys, do you guys wordle? Do you guys play? That yeah, game? every day. I, yeah. I can't, I can't stop. I do slate. It's my opening word. Slate. So is, that's a strategy then. Do you, you stick with the one opening word? I've never done it. That's what science would support. Yeah. Yeah. There are three or four like other words apparently that are really good if you um, are trying to get letters. So like if you're if you do like two or three words and you don't have any letters, like there's apparently some words that you could mm. use that have a lot of a, that use a lot of those letters. But yeah, but like I mean, I, over 400 days now. Come on. It's like beast. Like, let's go. Like, come on. Like, let's. I don't let's know. There's it. a lot of words out there. <laughs> I know. But I mean, slate. I'm surprised that hasn't been out there. It's it's, it's the opening word of a wordle genius is what wordle bot tells me so you have to do you get your get your get the wordle bot to analyze your answers each time because that's data it tells you like wow. what it would have chosen how you can improve next time that's my favorite part of wordle so if you're not doing that you got to do that oh my favorite part is just realizing how big of an idiot i am every day <laughs> <laughs> tim you've never done wordle i've not oh wow that, that's a pretty cool entrepreneurial story. The guy builds it for his wife. Yeah. Well, uh, he sold way too cheap and way too early. Probably, uh, it's hard to tell, right? I mean, he sold it for what? Two and a half million bucks. It was hot at that point. I don't know. It's, it's, you didn't have to stay at the company as Wall, Wall Street Journal bought it. Is that who it was? New York Times. New York Times. I mean, has it really worked for them? Like, I don't know. I would have to think so, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm curious. So, Carly, Nestle is, is bootstrapped to the to date, yes, correct? It is. So even after, I mean, I, I'm just I'm just trying to put myself in this position. Like you're a demo day. You've gone through a couple demo days. You're in San Francisco at Amazon's uh, AWS demo day, and you're just. Was that part of your pitch saying, "Hey, we're just bootstrapping"? 
And at the time it was, um, you know, we, we thought about bringing on investment, but when I started the business, I really didn't want to, I mean, I think it's, um, it's feels like a great accomplishment to bootstrap as far as we've gotten. Yeah. Um, and there was not necessarily a need to at the time. So as we've become more tech heavy and like certainly where we're headed with AI, we do need investment. So we are, we kicked off around just a, a couple of months ago that we're in the middle of right now, literally the middle, we've raised half of it. Um, it's our first round. And I think people are pretty surprised when we talk to them, like, wow, you know, you've done, you've done a lot on grant money. Um, and that's true. And part of me, I mean, I just applied for a federal grant, an SBIR grant, which would be a huge boon for us. And part of me kind of thinks like, maybe we could just keep applying for federal grants. You know, they're pretty big um, and not have to take on investment. But I've begun to see the benefit of having strategic investment, right? Because mm -hmm. so much of what investors can bring you, if they're good investors, is their network or like their experience, their introductions. So I see that now as benefiting our business, whereas before it was just like investment is money. So I'm assuming that you stayed in contact with the investors from Demo Day uh, yeah. and then kept them yeah. up to date. And uh... yeah, we keep them up to date. I mean, I think the people they brought to AWS Demo Day are kind of like seed A, um, mm -hmm. I mean, series A people. Um, we are pre-seed round. So it, in, in a sense, for some of us, for some of our companies, it was a bit of a mismatch in terms of where we are with our businesses. But we got a great response in terms of people saying, like, keep us posted when you raise your series A, that sort of thing. So um, we are more focused right now on angels, angel groups, people who funds that say they really do prioritize pre-seed and early stage companies. Um, that's where we're focused right now, but we do have a lot of people interested down the line, which is a great thing. Yeah. Super important. Investor management is so it's, it's, it's probably one of the most commonly overlooked things that founders don't do right. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It's another one of those things that falls to the last of your list, but it can be really important. Yeah. Yeah. Meaning keeping in touch with people that you meet. Everything. Uh, just like Carly said, in terms of making sure you're finding the right stage, the right, uh, you know, whatever their, their thesis is and what they invest in. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to it uh, that people just think that I'm just going to search for investors and then everyone is, you know, a potential investor and it's just, it's not the case. Yeah. Well, the, the check is the least important thing. Probably in many of these cases, the introductions are more important so that you can grow into it. You know, the expertise. Yeah. There's a ton, ton to it. Yeah. I wish that I had kept better records on the front end of people who were interested, you know, in terms of investment. And I think that's something if, if, you know, people who are starting out on their journey as an entrepreneur, what I recommend to them typically is to keep a list of people who are, interested in your business, either as an investor or a strategic advisor, and just write down what it was that you would lean on them for in mm -hmm. some sort of Google sheet. I mean, anything. And then the same thing for talent. Like we've had people well before we've been able to hire anyone like, hey, if you ever need a such and such, I like what you're doing. And I would have to poke through a bunch of random LinkedIn messages to find these people again. <laughs> I'm sure they're doing other stuff, but like if they get it, they might still be interested or they might know someone else who gets it too. And so keeping track of those, when I talk to people who are earlier on their journeys, is, is that's what I really say, prioritize how you can 
continue to stay plugged into this really massive network that you're building, whether you know it or not. 80% of the people that you meet, you do zero follow-up for. That's mm -hmm. the standard across the board. Only if you So you go to a networking event. I'm going to a networking event next Thursday at five o'clock. Uh, if I meet five or six people and there's 200 people in the room, 160 of those people will not follow up with anyone the next day. Even if they get their business card, they'll do nothing. Wow. That's, that's, that, that's wild. Uh, you have a ton of education. <laughs> uh, what's the highest line that you have? PhD. Okay, PhD. Uh, as a PhD and now an entrepreneur, uh, do you have too much education? Do you think you went through too much of it? Like, where, where do you stand on that kind of entrepreneurial versus education? Because there's a lot of people who say, maybe you don't need school, maybe you do. Where, where do you kind of land on that? I've gone back and forth on that so much. Um, my, the benefit of what I did in getting a PhD has nothing to do with subject matter. So I actually studied East Asian languages and civilizations, Japanese culture and history and uh, Mandarin Chinese. I don't use that at all today, but I used the project management of building a dissertation, which was a multi-year project with so many different people and spinning plates um, and different styles of research needed. So in that sense, it was complete job training for what I am doing today. Different subject matter entirely, but I'm, I don't think I would be able to run a business in the strategic way that I do now if I hadn't had that really concerted like mentorship level of growth as a scholar. I don't know if I would do your PhD <laughs> unless you want to. Yeah, I, I, I know we're running short on time, but it's just interesting. Like, are you wired to want to do more research before you launch or was going through the dissertation? Was that good for you in the sense of being able to have thick skin? Uh, so when it came to launch or startup that you could take it? Yeah, I think for us, it's been um, research is absolutely core to everything that we do. We can go a little bit too heavy on user research. I mean, our entire team is full of product people, but we, we do it all simultaneously, right? So we are never holding back on releasing something or trying something without treating it like an experiment. Um, we put it out there and we see how it hits. And because of my background as a researcher, that feels really natural to me. And that's, you know, that, that's a lean startup. And so I think that my experience with um, thinking outside of the box and trying things and having to describe them to people and then having to change them in the moment, that comes from being, you know, working on a dissertation and being a professor as well. You know, I was an instructor teaching students. So I think that is really the result of that training. I love the line, treat everything like an experiment. I think that's great. Like in the words that you use. Like it, it, every, like uh, the way you dress, what everything, like, I love it. I think it's great. I think yeah. That's mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. What's something we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? Um, that was the hardest question of the day. <laughs> well, I feel like there's still so much more to talk about. I wish we had more time, but, um, um, I feel like y'all talk to a, a lot of different businesses. Is there anything that you've heard throughout the year that you think, Oh, knowing about Nestle now, like they, this person's idea or like something that we've seen a business try or something that Nestle could do and be really interested in seeing that play out. 
as an audience member slash host, like, what do you think about the future? What would you recommend for the future of my own business? So what, what, when I finally figured out what you did, it reminded me of a company um, that is called Seven Cups of Tea. They went through YC. Uh, so it's for, um, it's basically the same Active model, listening. but for yeah. um, psychologists. And so like, I would look at other businesses that are doing basically the exact, the, the actual skin of the business is different, but the insides are the same. And just start talking call some of those founders, make friends with some of those people and just say, Hey, like we are not going after the same type of people. We are clearly not competitors in this case, but like, where do you see your industry going? What are some of your hardships with some of your good stuff, your bad stuff, and just pick their brains in that because it's the same business. It's yeah. just, it's skinned a little differently. Right. I listened to this, this, um, this podcast with the rock last night and he, he bought the XFL, which is a new football league. Um, well, a, a football league that had uh, you know, failed a couple of times. And he said, when they bought it, they went and uh, had meetings with the NFL and said, Hey, we just want to pick your mm -hmm. brains. We're, we're, we don't think we're ever going to be as good as you. We just want to see how you run this mega ship. And they've, they've created a relationship there. And so I think a lot of people would, are, are timid to do that. And they're like, Oh, those founders, they don't want to do that. They don't want to hear from me. You'd be surprised at how many people will, will take a meeting and give you, give you their kind of playbook of what, of what they've done. Good, bad, and ugly. I like yeah. that idea. Yeah. That's a great thought. I, we were just looking at a company that's sort of adjacent. It's called uh, service fusion and it's kind of like contractors nestle for contractors. And yeah. um, you know, I think I I'm, I'm the type of person to, refrain from like asking for people's time, but maybe if I take my own advice and just make it a challenge for myself, you know, to reach out to however many people who run these businesses, I bet you're right. I mean, I think people are naturally helpful. If you can get, yeah. if you can get one a week, 30 minute phone calls, mm -hmm. you know, that's 52 new friends, take a four week vacation. So 48, you know, like that's, that's a ton that you can learn from, from these people that have insights that you probably weren't thinking about. And so, yeah. It's a great, great thought. Thank you. Welcome. Yeah, I think I, I love what you're doing. I think that uh, it would be great to have like every every labor and delivery practice like and and Nestle be synonymous with one another. Be like, hey, this is where you need to go. Mm. You can still go to books, but this is the place to get the answers. That's where we'd like to be. Yeah. Carly, it's been great for those those of you listening. Go to Nestle.com. That's N E double S. LE.com because Carly's husband thinks that letters in the middle that are the same is is synonymous with success. I can't remember the exact name, but, but nestle.com. Easy to remember. Easy to remember. What except when your Easy host can't remember. It's, yeah. Carly, thank you for your right. time. Until thank you, Carly. Time. Yes, thank you so much, y'all. Bye. Have a great day.